Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Shimon Bolhos Nee Spiker has arrived with an attestation from the Freeform Church of Darling Downs. We welcome this sister into our congregation. The following members have requested their attestation. Sister Casey Klein to the Freeform Church of Rockingham. Sister Chantelle Ockerboom to the Freeform Church of Melville. And Brother Otoniel Gakona to the Freeform Church of Byford. We wish all three of them the Lord's blessings as they settle into their new congregations. Due to the periodic retirement of Elders J. Bron, J. Vanderlinden, R. Van June and W. Visser, as well as Deacons A. Klein and M. Oldenberger, Consistory invites the congregation to submit names of brothers deemed suitable to serve in the office of Elder and or Deacon. The letters of nominations must be substantiated and signed and are to be handed to the secretary prior to the meeting of consistory with deacons scheduled for tomorrow evening. Consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm, followed by consistory with deacons at 8pm. This afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Poppy, and before we begin the worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 107 verse 12. sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 17, the verses 4 and 6.
As believers in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to make a profession of our faith. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as we confess it in the, or sorry, as we sing it in hymn one. now pray to God. Let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that this afternoon we can come into your presence, that you condescend to be able to to listen to us, that you wish to, to meet with us. Thank you, Lord, that although you are the almighty God, you are powerful and glorious, your majestic and awesome splendor, that you have entered into a relationship with us, and that you have adopted us into your family. Thank you that we may be your people. We delight, Lord, to come into your presence this afternoon in order to sing your praises, in order to give thank offerings to you, to offer our prayers to you, and to confess our faith in you. We also delight to, to come here to hear what you have done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. I want to pray, Lord, that you would please bless the worship that we offer. Please grant that through the proclamation of the gospel, that we understand how rich we are in Christ, that we, we comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us, that we may live out of that love. Lord, your, your steadfast love is not dependent upon who we are and what we have done, but it is dependent upon your sovereign good pleasure. It's part of your character. This is the nature that you have as our God. And we thank you for that love, Lord. We thank you that you've directed it towards us that we may be your people. We pray, Father, that you help us to contemplate that love and to live out of it. Grant that we may realize how rich we are in Christ, and that we may live lives of, of devotion, and of gratitude, and of service before you. Please strengthen us in the preaching to this end. Pray also, Lord, that you would forgive us for all the sins that we have committed against you. Please wash us clean in the blood of your Son. Please hear us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the, the gift of the Lord's Supper. Christ teaches us why he instituted the Lord's Supper and, and how he wishes to bless us through the Lord's Supper. In connection with that, I'd like to read a few verses with you from the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21.
So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. You can find that on page 1148 of your guest Bible. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16, there God's word says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, for Christ, God making his special appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So far. It's a beautiful text teaching us about what Christ has done for us and how God seeks to reconcile us to himself through his son. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 64, the verses 2 and 3. Actually, I wanted to sing a few other verses. Caleb, can we sing two more verses? If we can still sing, my apologies here. Let's still sing verses four and six. Finish off the idea.
This afternoon I may preach to you the word of God concerning the the gift of the Lord's Supper and the benefits that God wishes to communicate to us through the Lord's Supper. I'm going to consider this as we also look at how the scripture summarizes, or how this is summarized in Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 542 of your book of praise. So Lord's Day 28 has the heading, The Lord's Supper. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bones of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where is Christ's promise that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink the cup, drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. After the proclamation of God's word, let's sing together from hymn 31, verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine if you had a son who's about to leave home. You want to encourage him in your faith, in his faith. And so what do you tell him? If I had to guess, then probably what you'd say to him is you'd tell him to be diligent in doing his devotions, make sure you regularly read your Bible, be sure that you, that you have an intimate life of prayer with the Lord. We'd encourage him to, to be faithful in going to church. If you go to church, that's where you're going to hear the word of God. And that's where you're going to grow in your faith. I'd also probably tell him to, to join a Bible study. Make sure that you continue to go to Bible study. It's when you meet with other believers and when you study the word of God together. That's, that's a very rich and encouraging thing. And it's a beautiful way to grow in faith in Christ. You probably also tell him to, you know, to make the most of other opportunities. You know, if, you, if you do a lot of driving or if you're in a situation where you're going to listen to lots of podcasts or something, then, then make sure you find some really good ones or listen to some really good sermons. Find some faithful reformed men and, and you know, make sure that's, a, that's a part of the influence that goes on in your life. Is that kind of 
The sort of thing that you would do to encourage one of your children to grow in faith? Now, it's interesting. The Lord has another serious encouragement. He tells us that one of the great means of grace that he has is the sacraments. He tells us that he's instituted the Lord's Supper for the strengthening of our faith. He gives the word as a primary means to build up our faith, and he gives the sacrament as a primary means to strengthen our faith. Well, would you have told your son or your daughter to make sure that they're faithful in using the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to strengthen them in their faith? If I'm not mistaken, and sometimes it happens to us, we know that it's supposed to be a big deal. We know Lord's Supper Sunday, this is, you know, this is important. We need to be there. We need to go to church. We make sure that we, that we celebrate the sacrament. But then sometimes we kind of wonder to, to ourselves, well, how is this supposed to be a big deal? You know, I come to church and I go up here to the front and I eat a little piece of bread and I drink a little bit of water or wine. And then I go and sit back down and nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to be any different. And so why, how is the Lord's Supper supposed to be such a big deal? If you wish to use the sacrament the way Christ intended it, you need to understand that the most important thing about the Lord's Supper is that it emphasizes the unity that you have with Christ. When you sit at the table here, when you eat a little bit of bread and when you drink a little bit of wine, it's a symbol of taking Christ into you by faith. It's a sign of the communion that you have with your Savior. You're not on your own, but you belong to Christ. You have intimate communion together with him. You are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. You are part of him. And since you are part of him, then all his benefits and all his blessings and everything he has ever done applies to your account. And so the Lord gives you the Lord's Supper as a means of strengthening you so that you know who you are, that you know what Christ has done for you, and that you're sure of his work towards you. I preach God's word to you with this theme, the Lord's Supper is a sign of our spiritual communion with Christ. It reminds us in the first place of God's grace, and then secondly, it reminds us of God's communion, or sorry, of God's renewal. So first it reminds us of God's grace. You know, one of the, the greatest gifts of the Christian life is walking closely with God. If you walk closely with God, then you have a rich life. You heard it this morning. Had this man, Joseph, he walked with God. And he was, he was blessed. The Lord knew him. And he was blessed by God. First, he's sold into slavery. He's off on his own there, away from his family. He's in Potiphar's house. But the Lord gives him success in everything that he does. The Lord was with him. A little later, he gets thrown into prison after falsely being accused of committing adultery. And again, the Lord was with him. The Lord surrounds him with his steadfast love. And Joseph has this intimate communion together with God. He's deeply blessed by his Father in heaven. When you keep reading through the scriptures, you see this is one of the, the greatest gifts that God can possibly give a person, is when you are known by him, when his, his presence is large in your life, when you walk with him. You have the story of, of Enoch, the seventh from Adam, in the line of Seth. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This man was in his prime of his life. He had an intimate relationship with his father in heaven. And at one stage, the Lord says, you know what, Enoch? You, know, you don't have to do this anymore. You know, I'm going to take you home. You're going to see me face to face. You're going to live in my presence. You're going to know me far more intimately than you ever have. Well, it's a theme that, that keeps getting developed in the scriptures. Genesis 6, verse 9, we're told that Noah is a righteous man, and it says of him, that he walked with God. And as a result, he and his family were spared from the flood. In 1 Kings 3, verse 6, it tells us that when David walked with God, 
that the Lord showed him great love and faithfulness. Malachi 2 verse 4, we're told that when Levi walked with God, the Lord gave him life and peace. It's actually one of the, the themes that keeps getting developed in the scriptures. If you know God, if you love God, if you walk with God, then there's no other blessing that the Lord gives to you. Psalm 33:18: the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Well, the next verses tell us that those who wait on the Lord and trust in him find that he is their help and shield. Psalm 34, verse 7, the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He delivers them and ensures that they lack no good thing. And then when God is present in your life, when you walk with him, when he's your father, when you're his child, there's a real sense of love and intimacy that the Lord has with you. I love the image. Psalm 131. The Lord tells us that he has a tenderness of a mother for her nursing child towards his people. Or in Ephesians 5, verse 29, it says there that, that Christ, that we are to, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves his church. And then it says of Christ that he, he cherishes us, and that it uses the image there of a hen who protects and comforts his chicks under her wings. So Christ is, is providing for us, nourishing us, and he's cherishing us. And, and the imagery there is, is this hen that's sitting on her brood, that's protecting them and keeping them warm and comforting them. And that's the imagery of Christ and his relationship with us, his church. When you walk with him, you're comforted, you're protected, you're kept safe by him. Well, do you have such an intimate walk with God, brothers and sisters? Do you love him dearly? Do you pursue him? Do you fear him and trust him and wait on him? Do you know of his grace and his kindness towards you? You know, the biggest obstacle is always ourselves. It's our own sin. Sin estranges us from him. It's when we sin that we grieve the Lord. We offend the Holy Spirit. We damage the relationship. We're like Adam. When we sin against God, then we flee from him. We want to get away from him because our conscience accuses us. David says in Psalm 32 that sin sucks the joy out of life. It sucks the energy out of him. When you give sin a place in your life, then you're estranged. You can't come near God. You don't experience the joy and the peace of his presence. Well, the Lord, he wants to save us from that. He wants to draw us near to him. He wants us to experience his blessings. And so there's a number of different callings that he gives in the scriptures to teach us how to do that. Maybe I'll just go through, through a few of them. One of the foundational things is he calls us to flee from sin. Don't give it a place in your life, but flee from it. Flee from sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10. Flee from the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6. Flee from youthful passions. Or another place, he tells us to put to death whatever is sinful among you. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another. Or another passage, the Lord, he warns us against the world. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. So he's got all these passages in which he warns us to, to get away from it, to withdraw from it, to, to leave sin, and to walk in godliness and in holiness before him. And the Lord knows that sin is powerful, brothers and sisters. If you're not careful, it gains power over your life. 
You know, so often sin festers. Sometimes we, we ignore the guilty conscience. We pretend it doesn't, have, doesn't matter. Or sometimes we make excuses for sin. Sometimes we tolerate it in our lives. We've learned sinful patterns from our parents. And that was normal in our family. And that's just normal for us. So we never even question it. And even though you can hear a sermon about it, or you can hear somebody else talking about it, in your family, just as, this is just how you do things. And so you never dream of being or doing anything different. And then on top of that, we have these besetting sins. Each one of us has our own character, our own weaknesses. And sometimes the spiritual force of darkness, they use these character traits in order to gain power over us. And over the course of, of days and weeks and months, we, we fall back into the same sin over and over again. Well, deep down, you can know that you're offending God. You know it's not right what you're doing. You're not walking closely with him. Maybe you really want to change. You want it to be different. But then the really hard part comes in when you try to change. Then you find that sin is pretty deep. That it's rooted. That it's tentacles reach into all sorts of different corners of your life. That it doesn't let go of you easy. If you harbor pride or selfishness or lust or greed or covetousness in your heart, then it's not as if the minute you confess your sin that you can walk away from it and it has no power over your life anymore. And many times you may confess your sin, you may acknowledge it, you may want to be different, but a few days, a few weeks, a few months later, you find yourself in exactly the same place that you used to be in. You, know, you see it? You get to know people, you talk to people, you love your friends, you carry your friends. You see it happen over and over again, brothers and sisters. I think of the man who grew up in the family where the way of relating was with biting criticism. Well, all his life, this man tried to excel in his task so that he would receive the praise of the people around him. Or I think of the brother who quit smoking. Now, for years afterwards, he would get into his car, he starts up the car, and the very first thing he does is he rolls down the window because that's what he always did. And then he rolls it back up again because he's not a smoker. And it's the time after dinner, he has this empty feeling in him because that was the time he used to always sit back and roll a smoke and enjoy a cup of coffee, and that would be one of the great, great moments of his day. Or you think of the man who years after he quit using pornography still has the tendency to lust and to indulge in his sexual fantasies. Or you think of the woman who desperately wishes that she could stop compulsively checking her social media feed and who tries to stop and who does it over and over and over again but who never seems to be able to find freedom from it. You know the power of sin within your own heart, brothers and sisters. You know what it's like. You know what it does. And if you're serious about this, if you wish to put this sin out of your life, if you want to walk with God, then the Lord's Supper becomes one of the very meaningful moments of your day of your week, of your month. It's when you celebrate the Lord's Supper that the Lord reminds you that you are in Christ, that you belong to him, that he is your savior, and that you are his child. It's when you try to deal with sin in your own power that it's always insurmountable, that you will never beat it. You don't have the strength to do it. We heard this morning, there are no three steps to beat the power of sin in you to resist from temptation. The only way you can resist is in the context of relationship. You need to know your Lord and Savior. You need to know who Christ is. You need to know what he's done for you. It says you draw near to Christ, and as you rely upon him, 
that he, he reveals his power and he expresses his power in your life and he sets you free from the consequences of sin. Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18 that the Ephesians would know the incomparably great power of our Lord Jesus Christ and his willingness to use that on behalf of his children. He prays in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that the Ephesians again would know that Christ can do immeasurably more for us than all we ask or imagine. The most important thing, brothers and sisters, is to know who you are in Christ. That's the phrase that's used 200 times in the New Testament. You are in Christ. You who believe in him are in Christ. And that's used in contrast to being in sin. You're not in sin if you are in Christ. You're not in darkness. You're not in Adam. So if you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. We read together from 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you believe in Jesus Christ, then his righteousness is attached to your account. Then he takes all your sin upon himself. He washes all your sin away from you. Because he takes that on himself, and he pays for that on the cross. And instead, he takes all his righteousness, all the the righteous things that he does, all the righteous relationships that he has, all the rightness, the right things he does in relationship with God, and he applies that to your account. And it's when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, that you remember that you are in Christ, that he is your Lord that you share in his power, in his righteousness. God has instituted the Lord's Supper to remind us, in the words of Colossians 1.13, that Christ has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have re- redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Sin is a powerful force, and the devil is a, a very powerful spiritual being. But Christ is more powerful. And as an act of love, he has saved you from your sins. And he's restored you in your relationship with God. It's really quite striking, actually. One of the ways in which God wishes to communicate this to you is that the Lord's Supper was instituted by our Lord Jesus on the night when he was celebrating the Passover. He was eating this meal with his disciples. He was, he was remembering the victory that God accomplished for the Israelites in Egypt. God had brought these ten plagues against the Egyptians. He had brought the the Israelites to a place where they were about to to leave, to go back to the promised land. The very last plague was this this plague of the, the death of the firstborn. And then the Israelites, they had to kill the Passover lamb. They had to spread his blood on the door frames of their houses. And it's while they were celebrating that ceremony in which they remembered the redemption out of Egypt, the redemption out of bondage, that Christ institutes the Lord's Supper. And what he's saying is he's saying, your old life, who you used to be, you used to be like the Israelites in Egypt. You used to be in bondage. You used to be in slavery. You used to be that, that you were under the power of this evil force. The Egyptians, they would, they would take your babies and murder them. And they would force you to work for them. They were harsh taskmasters. But Christ is the Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5. He's the one who paid the price. And for his sake, you have been rescued out of bondage. Sin is not your master. Because you are not under sin, but you are under grace. It is in 1 John 4, verse 10, that the Apostle John, he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, we never use this word propitiation in everyday conversation, but literally, the word means the atoning sacrifice by which wrath wrath is appeased. 
Christ is the atoning sacrifice. He's the means by which sins are forgiven because God's wrath is appeased. Well, since Christ paid the price, since he appeased the wrath, but there is no judgment on our sins. There's no more bondage. There's no reason why we're separated from God. But the Lord delights to have fellowship with us. And so if you're struggling against sin, brothers and sisters, if you're in that place where you want to grow in a relationship with God, where you want to walk more closely with him, where you wish to be set free from the power that sin may have in your life, then it's really important for you to come to the Lord's Supper. If you want to build up your son or daughter who's looking forward to moving out of the house, and you want to encourage them in their faith in Christ, then tell them to go to the Lord's Supper, to eat Christ's body and to drink his flesh, and to remember the union, the reunion that they have with Christ. And the second benefit that we receive through Christ's death is that he assures us not only of God's forgiveness, but also of his renewal. We'll just look briefly at that. Now, sometimes in the struggle against sin, it's one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes you can put sin to death in one area, and then later you realize that there's other sins that have been percolating in other areas of your life. Well, sometimes that, that can be really difficult if you simply don't seem to make any progress at all. It's in, con- in that context, again, that the Lord's Supper becomes very precious for us. You need to know who you are in Christ. It's in Ephesians 2, verse 4, God says that because of his great mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, God has made you alive together with Christ. You're alive in Christ. You're not dead in sin, but you're a new creation. When Christ lives in you, then his Holy Spirit makes you into who Christ is. And so it's not only that Christ deals with the sins of the past, but Christ also gives you hope for the future. He will change you into being this new person. The Holy Spirit of Christ will live in your heart so that more and more you will be sanctified, that you will change your life, your attitudes, your perspectives, so that you become like Christ is. The Apostle Peter talked about it, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's through the power of Christ that you can die to sin, that you can put it away from you, and you can live to righteousness, you can do what's good and right before the eyes of the Lord. That was also the point of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a, there's a promise of the renewal of your life, brothers and sisters. And again, it's not through your own strength. It's not by trying harder. It's not through accountability partners. It's not through contracts. It's through relationship. It's through knowing your Savior. It's through being found in Christ. It's when you engage in a relationship with him, then, then you find his power in your life. When Christ was on earth, and, then the devil, he tried to tempt him. He tried to lead him into sin. And literally, he threw everything he had at Jesus Christ. But every time, Christ resisted. He didn't give in. He strengthened himself with the word of God. Then the Hebrews 4, the Lord tells us, it's because Christ did this, that he can help you, and he can strengthen you in the same way. Christ is our great high priest. He's seated at the right hand of God. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And so it says, you can have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace so that you can receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. This is the other promise of the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters. When you eat the bread, when you drink the wine, then you have spiritual communion with him. And the Spirit of Christ lives in your heart. And he promises to renew you and to make you into this new person. And fighting against sin, it's not a, a meaningless exercise. But it can be different. It can be different in your marriage. 
You can be different in your relationships with others. You can be a new person. You can be different in your struggle against sin. You can put those sins away from you. You're not bound to do them all, all your life long. It's not as if your character is unchanging. God renews people's characters. He makes us into new people. He gives us a vision for living a renewed life. And so you can become a different person than who you were. It's through union with Christ. It's through faith in God that he changes you, that he helps you, that he recreates you into his image. We use the means that God has given, brothers and sisters. Use the Lord's Supper. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Come to the table and believe that your sins have been forgiven. And believe that Christ will renew you. Believe that you have this union with Christ. And it says you focus your attention on him and, and leave the attention off yourself. It's not about you, but it's about him. And as you know him, then you'll grow in to being who he is. Then he will help you in your walk with God. Amen. Let's sing together the, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over sin, death, and the devil. We're going to sing hymn 31, the verses 1 and 2. Now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll remember several members of our congregation. Remember our sister, Michelle Vanderheide. She's scheduled for surgery later this week, so we'll ask for a blessing over that. We'll also remember Brother Mahoney. Our brother is scheduled to return home from the hospital. The doctors have no idea what's wrong with him, and yet there's nothing really that they can do for him at this point. I think it might be an autoimmune disorder, but they, they don't really know how to help him. So we'll pray that God would continue to sustain him. We'll also pray for our sister churches, the Kosin Presbyterian Church of Korea. They're scheduled to have their synod, their general assembly, the Lord willing, this week. So we'll ask God for a blessing over them. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you have sent Jesus Christ into this world as our Savior. Thank you that he was willing to bear your the curse of all our sins on himself, that he bore your wrath 
for us. We thank you also that Jesus Christ endured that, that he went down to death, he humbled himself and he, he died on the cross, but that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and he is victorious over sin and over death and over the devil. We thank you that he promises to, to help us as we put our faith in him. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that through the Supper you encourage us to focus our attention on our Lord Jesus Christ, to take our attention off ourselves and our accomplishments, our achievements, and instead to, to look to your, your Son as our Savior. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that we may be found in him, that we understand how much you love us, and that we understand how much Christ has done for us. We pray that the Spirit of Christ would be given to us, that we would be able to resist sin, that you would change our hearts so that we, we hate sin, and that we love to do what's good and right before you. But you have the power to do that. Christ has accomplished this. And it says we know who we are in Christ, that we get to share in this. And so we pray that we may use the sacrament to that end. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Thank you for, for encouraging us not to depend upon ourselves and our own efforts. And please give us the wisdom to be able to do that. Please also help us then in our struggle against sin. Give us the conviction that we need to flee from it. Please give us the, the desire to, to never allow it to fester in our lives, but that when we, when we see sin, that we're honest about it and that we do whatever we can to flee away from it. Help us also live as a citizen of, of the, the community that you put us into. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and you've given us to each other to strengthen and to encourage one another. Grant that we can be honest with each other about our struggle against sin, that we may be able to assist each other in walking in holiness before you. Father, we also pray that you would please grant that the office bearers may be faithful in the task, especially the elders in having oversight of the congregation, so that they may also admonish those who continue in sin, that in this way that, that your people would flee from sin, that they be restored to you. Father, we know that the greatest gift in the world is, is knowing you and walking with you. And we desire that. We love to have an intimate relationship together with you. And so we pray that, that you would foster this relationship through our knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Dear Lord in heaven, we also pray that you would help us in all the other circumstances of our lives. I want to pray, Father, that you would bless us in our families, that our families can be places where Christ rules, where husband and wife can love each other, where parents and children can have a beautiful relationship together, where there can be love and kindness and gentleness and compassion. Please grant that, that our children can grow up to, to have a real sense of who you are and what you have done for them, that they are not caught in sin, but that they may flee from it. We also pray that you would bless our relationships with one another, that we can serve each other in love, that we find opportunities to help and bless each other. Grant us the spiritual wisdom and insight to be able to, to care for each other well. Grant, Lord, that we open our hearts to one another, that we're able to pray for each other, that as we know of the different circumstances of our lives, that we can bring these things before your throne of grace. Lord, help us to be a praying people that we often depend upon you and we, we often bring before you those whom we love and, and those within our church. Please grant that in this way that you would bless us, that there can be a real spirit of, of communion together among us, that we may have the fellowship that, that you've promised in Christ. We also pray that you would be near to those members of our congregation who need you in special ways. Some members who suffer, Lord, sometimes suffer because of physical ailments, Number of members who they don't know exactly what's going on and they don't know how to to be helped with that. I think especially of our brother Mahoney. We want to ask that you would please sustain our brother Lord. The doctors are not able to find out what exactly is wrong with him. And yet, Lord, you do. You know every day ordained for our brother. And so we entrust him to your throne of grace and we pray that you would care for him, that it may go well for him. We also ask, Father, that you would Please take care of his wife and that you be a father to both of them during this time. We also pray that you would please also look after those who, who struggle because of 
various mental health or, or emotional difficulties, some members of our congregation who, who have to bear difficult things, we ask that you be a father to them, that they may bring these things to you and that they may find their help in you. We pray, Lord, that you would also be near to those who, who have broken relationships and, and distressed relationships with, with other people, sometimes our co-workers, sometimes family members, sometimes extended family members. Sometimes it happens, Lord, that, that we have business dealings with people and it causes us a lot of distress. Grant, Lord, that we are able to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And please give us your Spirit to that end. Pray also that you would please take care of those who, who need you in, because of other health concerns. We think especially of our sister, Michelle Vanderheide. She's scheduled for surgery later this week. Please bless the work of the doctors, Lord, that they're able to, to conduct the surgery and that it may go well for her, that they can help her. And, and please sustain her through that. Please also be near to their family. And please comfort them and look after them during this time. Father, thank you that we can bring all these things before your throne of grace. It's beautiful that you're our Father and that we may be your children, that we may know of your love and grace towards us. I also want to ask you, Lord, that you please help us to continue to walk in faithfulness before you. Also think of our sister churches. This afternoon we wish to bring the, the Kosin Presbyterian Church of Korea before you. Please be with our brothers and sisters in Korea, Lord. Grant that they may walk in faith before you, that they would love you, and that they would also be able to make good decisions that are for the well-being of the churches and that, that bring glory to your name. Please assist them this coming week as the delegates meet together and grant that this may be a good meeting. Please also grant your blessing and traveling mercies to, to some of the delegates from our churches who are planning to go there. Please be a father to them and keep them safe and grant that they may also be a blessing for, for the brothers and sisters in Korea. Father, we thank you for, for the other sister church relationships that we may have. I also wish to pray for brothers and sisters in the Netherlands. We know many, many family members and other contacts in the Netherlands there's a lot of people who have to struggle because of the, the distress in the, the churches. We pray, Lord, that you be near to them, that you help them to be faithful to you, that they may fear your name, that they may seek to, to find a way forward that, that pleases you and that honors you. Please be with those who have less, left our sister churches. They seek to be faithful and please grant that they may have unity together, that they may also support one another. Please Work powerfully among your people there, Lord, that you would draw them close to you and that you protect them from further difficulty. Thank you, Lord, for, for your, your promise of, of your care and protection in every circumstance. I also think of, of so many of your people around the world who suffer because of persecution. Please be near to your people and please hear them when they call upon you. Father, we're grateful that we can bring all these things before you. Please bless the collections that we now offer to you Grant your blessing over the mission work in PNG. Please be with our missionaries and give them the strength and energy to do the work that they have to do. Please also grant that, that they're not too distracted in the aftermath of the, the earthquake. Please grant that, that the work may continue. Please sustain their families and be near to them. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this afternoon is for the mission work in Papua New Guinea. I'd like to read with you just a few verses there. It's so beautiful to know that at the end of the day, it is the Lord Jesus who gathers his church. One of the powerful ways in which we see that happening is in Acts 16, verse 9. We're told that, that the Holy Spirit directed the church and the work that was happening. It says that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. On our situation, we get to support the work in Papua New Guinea. There's also an opportunity that God has given us. May God bless the offerings that we, that we give to, so that this work may go well. After the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 61, verses 1 and 2.
receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.